On the Table, Current and Critical Information for Massage Therapists in Practice, a podcast presented by Massage Therapy Canada. Hello, everyone, and welcome to On the Table. This is Janine Belbeck, and I'm the editor of Massage Therapy Canada. Massage Therapy Canada is the nation's independent publication of record produced exclusively for massage therapists. We have a very special guest and a very special topic to discuss today, one I'm sure will generate a lot of discussion among Canadian RMTs. Denelda Gowan maintains adverse events are common with massage therapy intervention. In her 2017 dissertation, Gowan posits safety in massage therapy is understudied. There's little information on what constitutes an adverse event from the perspective of stakeholders, including massage therapists, other healthcare providers, insurers, regulators, educators, and patients. Today, we're discussing the frequency of adverse events related to massage therapy, the concepts of hurt versus harm and harm versus healing, patient and practitioner perspectives on adverse events, and what the profession can do to measure and monitor these events to inform the profession at large and build public trust. Once again, I'm joined by my fabulous co-host, RMT Don Dillon. Hey, Janet. It's great to be here with you again. uh, Janet, I think this subject today is going to be of particular interest to massage therapists because massage therapists expect, by and large, that their care is going to be beneficial, uh, and they're not entirely surprised if a patient reports a bit of stiffness the next day. However, adverse responses to care are not uncommon and can be more serious. To talk about this subject today, we're privileged to have Danelle DeGallon as our subject matter expert. Let me tell you a little bit about Danelle. She graduated from the Canadian College of Massage and Hydrotherapy in Sutton, Ontario in 1987. From the University of Saskatchewan, Danelle holds a Bachelor of Arts Honours degree in Psychology, a Master's of Science degree in Community Health and Epidemiology, and a doctorate in population health science. Danelda describes herself as a multi-passionate massage therapist, researcher, and educator. In her 30-year career, she has integrated a penchant for learning and contributing into provincial, national, and international collaboration for the development of the field of massage therapy. Danelda, welcome to the program. It's great to have you with us. Thank you, Don, and thank you, Janin, for inviting me. And I want to say congratulations on the creation and the execution of these podcasts. I enjoyed each of your first two podcasts, Andrew LeBurn's leadership on insurance industry issues and, and Margaret Wallace Duffy's rock-solid advice on media issues were really informative and really helpful. So thanks goes to you, too, for providing this great quality resource for the field. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Let's um, let's get into our questions, Nelda. In your dissertation uh, entitled "Exploring Patient Safety Issues in Massage Therapy and Understanding Patient Safety Incidents, also known as Adverse Events," the available research shows, shows mild to moderate adverse events following manual therapy intervention are common. Can you, for our listeners, please define the term "adverse event" or interchangeably "patient safety incident"? and provide us with some examples that might occur with the typical massage therapy care. Well, I'm happy to do that. There is an international classification schema. It's produced by the World Health Organization, and it gives definition of preferred terms related to patient safety. And aptly, it's called the International Classification of Patient Safety. 
And Don, you've rightly asked, and I'm going to oblige by defining terms, but I'm afraid these offering these definitions is going to be a tad tedious and dry, but I really think it's essential for a meaningful conversation. And I'm also going to argue that it's essential for moving the profession forward that we use vetted and appropriate language. So if you're ready, hang on to your hat. I'm going to define some terms. Great. Okay. A patient safety incident is an event or circumstance that could have resulted or did result in unnecessary harm to a patient. The use of the word unnecessary in this definition recognizes that errors, violation, patient abuse, deliberate unsafe acts occur in healthcare, and these are considered incidents. And I'm going to give you an example of a form of harm that's necessary. An incision for surgery illustrates this point. Incidents arise from either unintended or intended acts. A harmful incident or an adverse event is an incident that results in unnecessary harm to a patient. So now, of course, we have to define harm. And harm implies impairment of structure or function of the body and or any deleterious effect arising therefrom, including disease, injury, suffering, disability, and death. And it might be physical, could be social, or it could be psychological. Now, to be precise, I'm going to have to define each of those terms. So disease is defined as a physiological or psychological dysfunction. Injury is defined as damage to tissues. Suffering is defined as the experience of anything subjectively unpleasant. Disability implies any type of impairment of body function or any limitation or restriction in participation in society. So I've got the picture almost complete, but let me give you two more terms, if I may. Yeah. Safety is the reduction of risk of unnecessary harm to an acceptable minimum. An acceptable minimum refers to the collective notion of given current knowledge, knowledge resources, and the context in which care was delivered, weighed against the risk of non-treatment or other treatment. One last term in that family, Patient outcome is the impact upon a patient which is wholly or partially attributable to an incident. Where harm has occurred, the degree of harm is the severity and duration of any harm and any treatment implications that result from that incident. So I'm almost done with the minutiae here, but if you'll let me, I'm just going to briefly outline what a taxonomy element regarding the degree of harm looks like from this international classification, because people often ask. Please. So the degree of harm set out by this classification, first degree uh, would be none. The patient outcome is not symptomatic. There's no symptoms detected. No treatment is required. Or it might be categorized as mild. Mild says symptoms are mild, loss of function or harm is minimal or intermediate but short term, and there's no or minimal intervention required. Moderate says that it's requiring intervention or causing permanent or long-term harm or loss of function. Severe says that it requires life-saving intervention or surgical medical intervention, shortening life expectancy or causing permanent long-term harm or loss of function. And the last um, term of degree is death. Uh, well, relatively self-explanatory, it means on balance of probabilities, death was caused or brought forward in the short term by the incident.
So lastly, I'll just say that the patient safety incident term is a more contemporary term, but adverse event as a term has much greater use in both the research and, and in practice, and people just seem more familiar with it. So right. those are the terms that I want to define. And you asked me about examples of adverse events or, or PSIs relevant to massage therapists, and a few would be increased pain or new pain, headache, dizziness, swelling, bruising, crying, fainting, fractures, vertebral artery dissection, and the list goes on. Excellent. Thank you for qualifying those terms for us up front and to, so we can understand what we're working with. Now, now in day-to-day -day practice, massage therapists uh, seem to get a perspective from their patients that some of these mild or moderate adverse events are not uncommon, such as muscle soreness, maybe some light bruising and, and headaches. Can you tell us, is there any research that points to how patients respond to these mild or moderate events following massage therapy, what their perspective is? Well, it's a great question uh, with respect to how uh, how patients tolerate mild or moderate adverse events. And uh, it's a good question, and I don't have a great answer from the existing research literature specific to massage therapy, because that issue requires more study. But I can tell you from evidence from other professions that use manual therapy methods of treatment, physiotherapy, for example, that yes, these consequences are generally tolerated until they interfere with function. So patients will assign a harsher grade of severity, whether it's considered adverse or not, mildly so, moderately so, or seriously so, to an event of increased and new soreness, as an example, if it prevents them from engaging in their activities of daily living, than they will if the experience only provides discomfort and they carry on. Um, now, I know you've outlined quite a few um, terms for us. Of course, that's warranted um, given the subject matter. Um, you've previously presented um, on the concepts of, um, firstly, hurt versus harm, secondly, harm versus healing, and thirdly, pain versus suffering. Um, can you kind of explain those comparisons just a bit for our listeners? Yeah, I'd love to. And, well, I don't think that anyone will find this earth-shattering, but our results show that massage, as it's commonly applied in Canada, is sometimes experienced as painful during treatment and or after a treatment session. But we would refer to this as procedural pain. And while it isn't a novel concept in healthcare generally, there certainly isn't much by way of research investigation into procedural pain in massage therapy interventions. And I think that there should be. So we conclude that yes, massage can hurt. Now, when we start talking about harm, we've defined this um, in our discussion here today. And I can say that we have evidence that it does occur in relation to massage and massage therapy. And from our research, we conclude that yes, massage can harm. So let's look at this another way, I think. The difference between hurt and harm could be framed, I think, helpfully for the listener, that the former could be considered something like additional or increased pain, and the latter could be considered additional damage or disability. So that's what we consider to be the difference between hurt and harm. Now, with respect to healing, some of the studies in our scoping review also explored whether increased pain or painful changes in status or function could be evidence of healing rather than harm. And that's a really interesting discussion. 
with respect to pain and suffering, we learned the idea that increased pain or dysfunction might not always be equated with suffering, as long as the patient accepts and adapts to things getting worse before they get better. Um, and another question that I have that kind of goes along with um, what you just discussed, um, these adverse events, now obviously they're understood by the practitioner differently than the expectations of the patient. From your study, how did these adverse effects, events affect the relationship with the practitioner? Because I've heard of stories of RMTs, you know, having, having patients come back after and saying, you know, I'm really sore. Um, that must kind of again, affect that relationship um, in maybe not su such a positive light? What have you seen? Mm, that's a great question. And I, I think you'll find it interesting from, from research, although, again, not specific to massage therapy, um, because there needs to be more study on that as well, that patients are less likely to consider these types of consequences. So things like muscle soreness, soreness as you spoke of, um, post-treatment soreness, or things like headache, they're uh, less likely to consider those types of consequences adverse if their therapist communicates in advance that these things can happen. So the expectation reduces the likelihood that a patient will consider an outcome to be adverse. And of course, that will impact the relationship. Let's change focus a little bit, uh, go a couple years back to the 2016 INCAM symposium where you were presenting and you stated studying harmful outcomes is more complex than studying benefits. You had posed the question to your audience, is it a healing response, an adverse outcome, or an expected outcome. So what have you found are the perceptions and interpretations of practitioners when they conceptualize why an adverse event occurs? And if you could speak to the common term we hear in typical practice, the healing response or the healing crisis? Yes, I'm happy to, and I love this question. That uh, temporary worsening symptoms could contribute or sorry, could constitute a healing crisis, indicative of a shift toward homeostasis was a concept offered as a means of understanding adverse events in some of the research studies that we included in our own research in the scoping review. But this concept didn't really appear within the perspective shared by our own research participants, regulators, for example, in our focus group, or the stakeholders feedback to our findings. And you, Don, were one of those stakeholders at that conference. So that's a very interesting finding to me. So that experience of the healing crisis or a healing crisis may be described as a natural process where things get better before they, or get worse, I'm sorry, before they get better. But the concept of a healing crisis is used in other forms of tra traditional healing practices like shiatsu, but it's not been emphasized in massage therapy studies, which I find quite interesting. When, when I attended massage therapy college in a training program in the late 1980s in Ontario, there was very little published research about the benefits or the harms in applying massage therapy as healthcare. But I recall massage therapy instructors teaching about a healing crisis that could and would commonly occur as we work to facilitate the health and well-being of our clients. And anecdotes of symptoms getting worse before, got, before they got better, you know, emotional responses like crying or grief or new symptoms uncovered through treatment was commonly shared with us as students. 
And I remember at the same time, you know, the curriculum really at that time was influenced by an Eastern European medically based tradition of care. And that tradition stressed the serious responsibility inherent in intervening in someone's health. And there's the Latin prima non nocifer, which is an uncultured idea that in healthcare in all forms, including hands-on manual therapy, um, the, the prime directive is that it's not without risk of harm and we should do no harm. Danelda, you mentioned that, um, of course, safety um, is in massage therapy specifically is understudied. And despite uh, adverse events being common, you argue there's a limited taxonomy to engender discussion, decision-making, and research generation. What perspectives did you glean from the uh, massage therapy regulator focus group regarding how they view adverse events? Right. A, a simple taxonomy is, is what's needed and, and one that is generated, in my opinion, by massage therapists for massage therapists. And I should clarify that by a taxonomy, I'm simply referring to a schema, an organization, a tool, um, a chart might come to listeners' mind. That's what's needed to identify, define, and classify adverse events. And that's something that needs to come about through consensus. So, with respect to the regulator's perspective, cases of injury as determined by Canadian massage therapy regulators are reported in publicly available documents, and we all know this, but there's a lack of detailed description of the patient safety incidents for research purposes, for learning purposes. The regulators that we talked to were confident that reducing harms can best be managed with regulations to set and enforce standards of practice for RMTs. And another way of viewing this from the research, the existing research literature, there's a systematic review of patient safety in massage. And in that, the author states that the majority, and I'm quoting, the majority of adverse effects were associated with exotic types of manual massage or massage delivered by laymen. So I will argue that the regulators' views have some support from research. Donalda, from your uh, dissertation again, uh, when you talk about Carnes et al. from the UK, they conclude that the risk of major adverse, adverse events with manual therapy is low, but around half of manual therapy patients may experience minor to moderate adverse events after treatment. Other studies you cited suggest adverse events may be underreported, and you assert, uh, quote, that patient safety issues in massage therapy are understudied, unquote. So how might our listeners today recognize and understand adverse events, and how can they use adverse events, uh, the feedback they're getting from their patients on a daily basis, to inform their practices? Mm. Well, perhaps we should discuss a little bit about underreporting. Let me, let me illustrate the consequences using a phrase from another Canadian research from the physiotherapy field. And she states that physical therapy is considered safe based on a lack of reported harms. And I think that's such a poignant point of view and something that we need to consider with respect to massage therapy, that any therapy can be considered safe based on a lack of reported harms. And of course, that's not sufficient in terms of evidence. So most of the research until now has focused on benefits. 
And as always, in understanding the world around us, we have to appreciate that lack of evidence is not evidence for a certain state of reality. And that's absolutely the case in patient safety. So in terms of recognition and understanding of ad adverse events by today's contemporary massage therapist, I think what's needed is attention to new knowledge. And it's my hope that our discussion today will help. So thank you for that. I, I, I might add that with respect to informing practice, I have a few ideas. What, what we need to know from the research specific to massage, and I'm using that term provisionally, is that there are conflicting viewpoints. And I think that disagreement often comes from our failure to clearly operationalize, clearly define terms, and or match the right answer with the right question. So I'll give you an example. If I ask the question, can massage cause harm, then I can tell you about cases of bad things that have happened as a result of anything and everything that might fall under the category of massage. And I'll illustrate that further. So there's a case that I've cited, not infrequently, uh, in the literature of a spouse walking on the back of another spouse that resulted in hospitalization due to a spinal fracture. So the question begs to be asked, is that fair to consider this massage? Well, I would half jokingly say the person walking on the other person's back wasn't just out for a stroll. So insofar as someone using their feet and their body weight to manually manipulate or mobilize the soft tissues and joints of the body, as far as that's massage, then I would argue, sure. So is there any evidence that this could be harmful? Yes. And of course, massage as a term used globally and from other traditions and cultures will look a bit different than our classic Western massage therapy. But I will also argue less and less so as global influences permeate all cultures. So my point is that if we are to ask, hey, can asking for or providing massage result in consequence that no one wants, then the answer is yes. So I think it's important to look at the big picture as well as more specific questions like, as you introduced our discussion today, what's the incidence of adverse events associated with seeking the services of a Canadian massage therapist? So I want to just be a little bit clear, too, that figuring all of this out is just a jumping off point. Um, it's a starting point. And it's a bit of a jump because the gaps in what we know are pretty deep and pretty wide. But I don't want to sound um, lacking in optimism because there's lots of things that we do know. So, for example, some terms are simply not logically appropriate. So, for example, we often use the term side effect. And, and we would argue that it's not an appropriate term because it denotes a causal relationship that cannot be argued for in most patient safety research. And it could equally describe a positive or a negative outcome. So what I'm hoping might be helpful from today's discussion is that we just get really clear on the language that we're using. Um, again, Danella, you kind of touched on this briefly um, before. Speaking of harms, you cite Yin et al. 2014, uh, Adverse Events of Massage Therapy in Pain-Related Conditions, a Systematic Review. The authors of the study declare disc herniation as the most common adverse effect, soft tissue trauma second, followed by neurological and spinal cord damage, arterial damage, and bone fractures. A small number of incidents were related to dislocation, hematoma, and pain. 
Um, obviously, this is quite alarming. Um, some of the studies you refer to mention other injuries happen with, like you mentioned, less trained individuals lacking standards, regulation, and an evidence-informed approach to care. So if you could just kind of briefly discuss uh, why the lack of uni uniform regulation nationally uh, is a barrier in research education practice and policy. Horrified and incredulous sums up the common reaction, and not just of massage therapists, but other clinicians and research and researchers, and of course policymakers. And the surprise experienced about our findings are, I think, a bit of a reflection of the fascinating and somewhat weird socio-political issues that this field faces. And I'll give you an example to illustrate that point. It was brought to my attention through my fellow local profession leaders that an American policymaker went on record saying that massage therapy is not something that needs to be regulated. In his own words, this is how he expressed it, and I quote, I honestly am not worried about somebody rubbing my muscles so hard that they'll injure me or that they'll need a license to protect me from them, end quote. So I want to say that while I believe that it's important to remember that our value doesn't decrease based on someone's inability to see our worth, it is, however, our job to do the research and to share the evidence with equanimity and to move forward accordingly. And it's widely accepted in healthcare that healthcare carries inherent risk. I want to just say one more thing about these egregious types of incidents that are published in the medical literature. Since I finished and submitted this dissertation, there's been an additional case that is just so very sad. There's a catastrophic example. In 2017, there's a clinical case report published in the European Spine Journal describing a young man with ankylosing spondylitis who experienced tetraplegia as a result of tweenon massage session, the pressure. He was hospitalized and he died of associated respiratory failure seven days later. Now, I'm sharing those stories about those serious adverse events, not to sensationalize the issue, but to make our point in terms of awareness. What I will say is that we can learn something from other healthcare professions that have studied adverse events. We can learn from their research. A good discussion, and a good discussion in uh, my opinion is based on rigorous and systematic analysis of existing research in the fields that are most likely to inform massage therapy, and I think this will help. So we can look at those fields, and this is what we did in our research, that have similar scopes of practice, or they have methods of treating, for example, manual therapy that are similar, or they have similar patients, similar usership, they have similar histories of development of the field, or similar, similar contemporary challenges. And good operational definitions of concepts are important to patient safety, and this is what we need. So, for example, we've got questions of who is a massage therapist, and what is massage therapy? And these are questions similarly that are answered in other professions with respect to their providers and their intervention. So we need to decide and we need to describe how is a massage therapy provider 
and the intervention that they um, provide measurably defined for the purposes of finding and articulating and filling that gap in the knowledge. And I, I, I will argue that the Canadian massage therapy context and specifically the unregulated provinces exactly reflects that potential for risk of harm from minor to life-threatening adverse events that are attributed to massage therapy in the published medical literature in international journals, including cases from North America and Europe and Asia. And if you review the literature, it shows that there's evidence for a threat to public safety when massage as applied in contexts identical to what one would find here in Canada. So chair massage, sports-related interventions, spa services, pain interventions, treatment of the elderly, treatment of children, um, and as applied by individuals ranging from untrained to undertrained to those displaying poor professional judgment and clinical error all the way up to our upper echelons of those um, uh, trained and educated in Canada. So that's a, that's part of my answer. I, I, I have I have lots of ideas uh, and I'm happy to continue if you're interested. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, was it still regarding regulation or? Yeah. yeah? Go ahead, Donalda. All right. Okay. I think that uh, it's important for this discussion, and, and uh, goodness knows many of us have had this discussion for decades, but as we continue to look at the current data, our research illuminated this interesting concept of a twofold conceptualization of trust. So this twofold conceptualization of trust is that the public's trust in massage therapist's capacity to promote their health is one aspect, and the public's trust that there's a system of accountability that safeguards their welfare is a second very important aspect. You spoke about and asked me about the therapist's role, and within this context of regulation, as a healthcare provider, the therapist is entrusted to deliver safe and effective care. Patient expectation of trust and the therapist's responsibility to uphold that trust are seen as critical, and especially when treatment might be painful. And this is a discussion that I think we don't have often enough. We do often discuss the fact that massage therapy patients are thought to be uniquely vulnerable due to the nature of the therapeutic encounter. There's extended personalized time, there's a state of undress, there's physical touch, and these all serve to exacerbate the risks to well-being if they're not safeguarded by a professional massage therapist who is bound to adhere to practice standards and enforceable by a legislatively defined authority. That's a very compelling argument, Donelda, thank you. And I, I just want to uh, maybe stop for a moment and mention to our listeners that I, I hope you will take the opportunity to read Donelda's dissertation. Uh, we're referring to it throughout the podcast, and uh, it, it really provides a, a very key context in terms of this issue of adverse events, and we will have it linked on our web page. And uh, pertaining to the dissertation, Donelda, you outline in your dissertation the concept of a pantheon of patient safety in massage therapy. Can you, can you build a, a visual picture for us here and tell us how this concept of, of the patient safety model can inform our practices? Well, I'll try my best. Thank you. Uh, we view patient safety in massage therapy as usefully characterized as a pantheon or a house built on a foundation of trust and supported by three pillars. 
One is a well-defined role for the massage therapist, clear treatment expectations, and the protection of patient vulnerability. I'm sorry, that's each of the three pillars. And the structure and its component parts, we believe, serve to reduce the potential risks inherent in the delivery of healthcare. And we also feel that it forms and binds the integrity of the profession, its members, and its governing organizations. So if you'll indulge me, I'll, I'll speak a little bit about each of those components. We like the idea, I like the idea of models or representations, and as you said, a visual frame of reference to help us to have clear communication and use our imaginations a little bit about patient safety uh, specifically and, and research in general. So I'll speak a little bit about the foundation, the foundation of trust. Our focus group discussion revealed a belief that the stable ground on which the framework of safe massage rests is essential to mitigate the risk of harm to the public. So our research participants felt that safety in massage is built on this foundation of trust, and that, that trust is the trust that the public has in the massage therapist to safeguard and promote their health and the trust that the public has that there's a system of accountability, as I said, available in the event of a patient safety incident. And the system of accountability is that legislatively derived authority of a self-regulating healthcare profession. So I'd like to share a little bit about the conception of Pillar 1, and that's this idea of the healthcare provider role. And this, of course, is a discussion that you and I and many of us have had for decades, and our listeners will be actively involved in this discussion as well. So the healthcare provider role was an important issue for our participants, and it emerged as a main theme of our focus group investigation. Participants felt that uneven provincial legislation across the country, and of course, we know that most provinces or jurisdictions uh, and at that time were unregulated, and that this colors the public perception of massage therapy and massage therapists, even in provinces where the practice is regulated. Our participants felt that minimal education requirements and mandatory continuing competency requirements, scope of practice adherence, and um, necessary informed consent uh, were issues that participants thought were really important elements in the construction of a solid role for the massage therapist as, and I'm quoting, the healthcare provider. So the second pillar I'll just speak briefly about in terms of patient vulnerability and our house model, one of the pillars, pillars suggests that um, this theme it, it revolves around protecting patient vulnerability. So our participants acknowledged and respected the massage therapist patient's unique vulnerability. One participant described it this way, and I think it was really interesting. They said, I think of the inherent vulnerability of our patients. We often practice with patients disrobed. They're literally shedding layers, and they're vulnerable. So I want to say also that participants expressed views that RMTs are experts at managing the unique needs of patients within that therapeutic context, and I think that cannot be overstated. They felt that a massage therapist's treatment intervention in that caring physical touch must be provided alongside safeguarding the physical and emotional well-being of the patient, and registered massage therapists are well-trained to do so. 
The third pillar, I'll just say very briefly, because I think that uh, we're going to talk a little bit about treatment expectations further, but that's the third pillar, and it becomes really evident that that is part of supporting um, safe care, the expectations that the patient has and the expectation that the therapist has. So I love to describe this model and, and the image of a house or a pantheon of safety, but I'll just wrap up, if I may, with just a little description about the roof. And the responses of our focus group participants led to the idea of a roof sheltering the frame of patient safety in massage therapy. The roof both protects, any roof does, that which is within the frame by reducing the risk of damage from negative influences on patient safety, and it also contributes to the integrity of the profession the governing organization, and the professional members in its registry. And it does so by defining the boundaries of the framework. So that's our model. In your dissertation, you speak of the value of the International Classification of Functioning Disability and Health Model, ICF, as a framework for conducting massage therapy research. If you could just describe the merits of this model and how it would be incorporated into Canadian massage therapy research, because I know the research process for studying harms is more complex and less developed than efficacy research, which is typically what most research focuses on. Right, right. Yes, well, thanks. What I'd like to do is I'd like to defer um, part of my answer um, to that question to Dr. Nikki Monk. And uh, she wrote an outstanding paper on the um, uh, International Classification of Functioning Disability and Health that was published in the International Journal of Therapeutic Massage and Bodywork. And I think you have provided that resource uh, for our listeners. And that paper, uh, in my uh, opinion, has received inadequate attention. And listeners can find out more about um, that paper and the topic therein. Uh, regarding safety research in general, um, yes, experts from the Cochrane Database, a systematic review, state clearly that research process for studying harms is more complex and less developed than efficacy research in healthcare in general. And that might be of interest and, um, to people. And perhaps if I illustrate that a little bit uh, further here. So there's a need to use appropriate research designs to conduct patient safety research, specifically and particularly in massage therapy. And so there's Cochrane reviews of massage therapy and other interventions, and they examine adverse events as an outcome. But it's well known that the RCT, the Randomized Controlled Trial, which is the study design um, of those, um, of those um, pieces of research, that design has limited utility in investigating adverse events. And that's because there are strict inclusion criteria, and so the characteristic of who gets in this study are going to be quite narrow. Uh, one would need ample sample size, as you can imagine, to have anything near a rare event show up. So that's an important issue, and most current safety-related research pertaining to massage therapy is in the form of case reports and systematic reviews of case reports, and that's very valuable. But there's other research designs, including prospective studies, and that's needed. I'm going to argue, too, that broad intraprofessional consensus on identifying and defining and classifying adverse events is needed to advance all research in the field of massage therapy, and that's what we were seeking to find out with our research. But we need to further that. So 
so interprofessional consensus would aid in interprofessional collaboration in research and practice and education and policy making. And perhaps I'll just say personally, Weaving together scholarship, and in my case, and, and others' long service, and addressing the everyday issues in the field is challenging, but it's hugely gratifying. In my mind, research is about solving problems, and the analogy of the gap is really useful in framing a problem. Knowledge generated from research helps fill in that gap. And safety, as we've been speaking about in this discussion, is understudied in massage therapy. And like other fields, the focus up till now has been on effectiveness. And the research is there, available on effectiveness and on efficacy. So thanks for that question. Donelda, I'm going to return to your dissertation again and quote directly from you in, uh, quote, in North America, the professional practice of massage therapy takes place within a complex historical, social, and political context. Although the therapeutic use of massage is based on millennia of experience in the art and science of healing, the identity or archetype of the modern massage therapist exposes conflicted views intraprofessionally as massage therapy seeks to define itself. The development of a patient safety culture with the infrastructure to accurately and uniformly identify, monitor, and learn from harm when it occurs is an important part of the professional development of any health profession. Massage therapy lags behind other health care professions in scholarship and research related to patient safety, unquote. You go on to say that integrated knowledge translation requires infrastructure, good leadership, and the support of champions. So uh, this question is related to how you're seeing the massage therapy field in its current organization. My questions are, what is currently missing in the infrastructure required? Who should provide the leadership that you speak about? And where will the champions come from to support this initiative? Mm, another great question. Thank you. What's missing? I think I, I have a few points that I think might help to illuminate what's missing. So my, my first idea is that what's missing is more massage therapy research uh, researchers. I, um, I, I, I'm reminded of the adage that many hands make light the work. And so perhaps I'll tell you my story of becoming a research a researcher, and, and maybe that will be uh, of some interest. I attended my first research conference in Toronto many years ago now. A meeting of the, it was a meeting of the Canadian Interdisciplinary Network for complementary and integrative medicine. And I was in rapture, sitting in the audience, listening to people talk about their work. Now, I was not a researcher at the time. My mentor, Trish Dryden, heard me say that I'd love to be able to contribute. And she said, good, go get the formal education. So I did. And I'm going to encourage others to do the same. I think the other thing that's missing is that we need to continue to advance research literacy and utilization of research among practitioners. Clearly not everyone needs to become a researcher, and I'm thrilled with what I see as a positively oriented culture among massage therapists in recent years regarding the value of research. And the number of therapists who buy their comments in conversations and throughout our research have made themselves more proficient in finding, reading, and understanding, and then using research. 
So we did a project as part of my master's study, and we published those results in 2010. And informally, at least to me, it seems at least to me that uh, there's been a positive shift in regard for research, even in the last most recent years. So I really want to strongly emphasize that in order to be an evidence-based field, we need to have basic competency in research literacy and utilization. And I'm really encouraged by the culture and the change in culture in recent years. So you've asked what's missing within the research structure, and it'll come as no surprise uh, that I will answer. Uh, we need plenty of funding support. And not just for the conduct of research, which includes research project expenses, but we should include paid work for the researcher and also for collaboration and for dissemination. That's the big IKT piece, that integrated knowledge translation piece, getting stakeholders together, patients, practitioners, interprofessional clinicians, all involved from the beginning. For example, helping to formulate meaningful research questions and then framing the problem and then using the researcher's expertise of how to go about trying to answer those questions. And that is critical and something that is just really burgeoning now in the field of research in general. There's another important part that's needed, and that's consultation with stakeholders, uh, for example, on any study's results and how to make that knowledge that was gained through the research useful to practitioners, patients, other healthcare providers, policymakers, uh, etc. And you have participated in some stakeholder consultations on uh, with this study, and we're really grateful for everybody who shows up at conferences to discuss research, to allow researchers to try out their ideas, uh, to vet the information, and for that we're very grateful. Your last question I think really is about um, who should provide, or one of your last questions, who should provide the leadership? So I want to say that our provincial and national organizations are already providing great leadership. So they need the support, though, of every massage therapist who benefits from improvements and advancements in the development of the profession, and that's everyone. So I, I'm going to argue strongly that if you're making your living as a massage therapist, then you should be joining your professional association, as well as being a member of your regulatory body. So in short, each of us should be leading by contributing positively. And I want to say for our project, we are so grateful for the funding of the CMTBC, the CMTO, the Massage Therapists Association of Saskatchewan, and for INCAM, who over the course of this research project have provided support. And I continue to be grateful for opportunities such as this one to share about and to further the work that we've done. This helps to increase understanding about patient safety in massage therapy. And I want to acknowledge and I want to thank my co-authors, Amanda Basquill, and my research supervisor, Dr. Ann Lees. Their contribution and their collaboration and their leadership has been outstanding. You asked about champions, so I'll say that I'd like to see more interprofessional champions celebrated in my own experience, uh, whereby I introduced massage therapy-related research into interprofessional research environments like conferences, research conferences, pain conferences. There's a quiet acceptance of massage therapy as having value. Once one gets into a conversation about it with intelligent and thoughtful people who are trying to make a positive difference in human suffering, the interest is there. 
I've been to local, national, and North American research conferences with my posters and presentations on our research and the support and the good cheer from agents of healthcare, from physicians and surgeons and physios and OTs and nurses. It's extremely helpful and it's extremely encouraging and we need to continue to champion that. In your acceptance speech for the RMTAO Research Award, you quoted Mary Beard, uh, the role of the academic is to make everything less simple. So for our audience today, if you can make it very simple, how do you want massage therapists to incorporate the concept of adverse events into their daily practice? Well, thanks, Jen. I, I, I hear what you're saying, but I'm going to resist the temptation with another quote. <laughs> Richard Feynman, he's a famed physician, or, uh, ph- uh, physicist, pardon me, and he said this, you're unlikely to discover something new without a lot of practice on old stuff. But further, you should get a heck of a lot of fun out of working out funny relations and interesting things. So that's my wish for the intellectual journey that is massage therapy. But yes, I do have some things to say about what I want massage therapists to incorporate into, well, any learning from research into their daily practice. So what I want is for that to be incorporated in three main ways, and this is my suggestion. So research can be applied directly. So we apply the results of research to patient care. So here's one example. Because we know that role expectations are a safety issue uh, for for, um, practitioners, for patient safety, practitioners can foster safe practice by carefully communicating their role. Massage therapists are healthcare providers. They possess all the privileges and the obligations therein of having that role. So specifically, honoring the position of trust in caring for vulnerable patients and upholding standards of assessment and treatment. That's applying research directly to practice. I'd like to see research applied indirectly, and that's often considered to be something as simple as changing the way we think about things. So I'd love to hear from listeners and uh, of all of our interested stakeholders, what, if anything, that we've discussed today, that I've shared today, has changed the way that they think about things. Of course, awareness and concern for patient safety is an important part of good practice. So something to consider from the general healthcare safety literature is this, and I'm quoting, many patient safety events are rare, but high frequency, lower harm events may contribute more overall harm than high profile rare events. So we need to continue the conversation about this. The last way that research can be incorporated into practice is persuasively and seriously using evidence from research is the currency used by policymakers. So legislation for self-regulation comes from convincing and mobilizing positive action. So the last point that I will make or the last uh, idea that I will share is that in this next phase of this research that I've been discussing today, we're going to be looking to the massage therapy community of experts to further develop our results into tools and instruments for practical use in research, in education, and in practice. So I'm going to suggest that participating in research is yet another way to incorporate the concepts discussed today into your professional career and into your practice. Perfect. I think we're just about out of time here, Donalda. I want to thank you so much for spending the time with us today discussing this 
very interesting content. I'm sure we'll have uh, some discussion among massage therapists across the country. Don, thank you again for being my trusted co-host. My pleasure, Janet. And I will uh, let everyone know to per please peruse those resources that we've listed on the podcast webpage. You can also continue the conversation via our social media. You can find us Massage Therapy Canada on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can view all of our previous and future podcasts at massagetherapycanada.com slash podcast. Thanks again, and we'll tune in next time. On the Table, current and critical information for massage therapists in practice, a podcast presented by Massage Therapy Canada. Thank you.